On this premiere episode of Wild in the Streets, we're diving deep into two films that helped kick off the Italian crime film boom of the 1970s, Carlo Lozani's Bandits in Milan and Alberto Demartino's Bandits in Rome. Cominciamo! Welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Euro crime films of the 1970s. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the violent professional Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. I'm ready to get gritty in in, in the streets. Get grit, gritty in the streets. Oh, man. So gritty, like the, uh, the uh, mascot, the sports mascot that you enjoy so much. Uh... <laughs> yes, Holy just shit. like that, Doug. Just I'll tell like you what, that. Liam. We're... we're uh, Theoretically, this is the first episode that someone might listen to because maybe this is the first topic that they'd be interested in. A long sigh is not the way that we necessarily want to begin. Well, then you shouldn't inspire long sighs, though. <laughs> I, that was an honest reaction to you and your being. Um, I, well, that would be interesting. If, if we do have any new listeners, welcome. Uh, this is generally what it's like here. Doug is mean, and I respond like a normal human, and then he makes fun of me for it. Uh, I, I, it would be interesting to see. I know Eurocrime is a topic that has its sort of passionate adherence. People who yeah. mm-hmm. search this genre out, and unlike other genres, it's not... How do I put this in a way that makes sense? It hasn't gone through the uh, genrefication that other things have. So, like, when you're a horror person, you're a horror person. There's, like, a persona there. Um, but uh, Eurocrime is one of those things that, like, if you study f- the history of film, you know about. But there aren't, like, your local Eurocrime club, you know? There's not a lot of Eurocrime T-shirts there's not like a convention in New Jersey, you know, so it's like it's it, it doesn't have the same sort of presence. And yet, if you're at all interested in um, a certain era and a certain kind of film, you're going to run into them eventually. Certainly for uh, our listeners from the Philadelphia area, y- the first X-Fest to the last X-Fest had Eurocrime films. It's just part of the exploitation canon to me and it, it's different than a lot of other films that bear the title uh exploitation and yet it's an important aspect you know well i thought in this first section we could talk a little bit about that aspect now uh, for those listeners and i'm guessing that's most people who are interested in the italian filmmaking of the 60s and 70s you're probably used to this idea of these uh kind of short-term genres which get a lot of heat behind them tons of films are being made in that genre and then the italian film industry moves on to another thing you know whether it starts with the sword and sandal films um kind of coming off of american films like ben-hur and then moving on to like euro spy and jolly and uh spaghetti westerns of course um and you know even moving on to kind of the the mad max ish films of the early 80s and within that, and a really kind of substantial category of that, would be these Eurocrime films. But I have to be honest with you, Liam, I've seen a few, 
but it isn't a genre that I'd ever taken to like I have taken to some of those other ones I just mentioned. Uh, and it's not because I don't have any interest in it. I love crime movies. I love American crime movies from the 1970s, the kind of gritty crime movies of that, of that era. So uh, I'm very curious to dive into this. But since you were the one who kind of pushed for this as a topic for a show, why don't you tell me why you think this is something we should be talking about? Well, I, I mean... <sighs> I can talk about that in two ways. One is the thing that I just described, which is that um, as as important as these movies were to a time, and as much as I see occasionally individual titles playing at film uh, fests or at you know marathons and stuff like that, it isn't something that I see a lot of dialogue about in kind of the general like film community you know that I don't see as as many people discussing these movies and my exposure to them has been at various uh, uh, events primarily through uh, exhumed films in the Philadelphia area but also uh, at Alamo Yonkers uh, Alamo in Austin at uh, other fests uh, throughout the the country I've seen them listed on things so it's something I'm curious about but it's also a genre that um, and I'm not saying this is the only requirement for what we do, but I prefer when we do topics that we come to a little bit with hands wide open in the sense of like, I am interested in this topic. I've seen a few of these films, but I'm actually more here to learn. So if you right. were like, give me the textbook definition of Eurocrime, I don't I don't know that I have one. It's a term I know. I've heard it a little bit. Now I'm ready to dive in with you and we can make some of our own determinations like if someone were to say like oh well they're more extreme crime films that involve a certain level of violence well that's been my experience that's probably accurate but i'm willing to find out if that's true or not does that make sense Absolutely. You know, I'm a huge fan of spaghetti westerns. Uh, it isn't necessarily a topic I'd want to discuss at length on a series of podcasts, but I like that the Italian crime genre sort of comes from the same place, which is that initially it's inspired by American movies of like the 1930s and 40s, just like spaghetti westerns were inspired by uh, by American westerns. But that eventually evolved into other things as the popularity increased, as the era changed. So as Spaghetti Westerns were being made, American Westerns were still being made, and they tended to be, you know, uh, reflective of the time in which they were made. So the Wild Bunch would have come out in the 19, late 1960s, and the increased violence in that was reflected in the violence of the Spaghetti Westerns of the later part of the 1960s, and it was always a, a more violent version of a Western anyway. And I think we will see that in these crime films as well, where they will get a little more exploitative and a little more extreme as we move throughout the 1970s, it's one of the things that's notable about these first two films that we're going to be talking about on this episode is that there are certainly they're violent, they're crime movies, but it's not they're not exactly bloody movies. They just have a few uh, elements that maybe you wouldn't necessarily see in an American film, but they still seem like they're reflective of and in some ways trying to imitate American films. I also wonder, and this is purely theoretical i don't i don't have the evidence yet but i'm hoping we'll see some of it if some of the chaos of the 70s is reflected in these crime films in the sense mm -hmm. of like when you're in a situation where um generally individuals are questioning power structures right Mm -hmm. um, are dubious of sources of authority than films about people who are disobeying authority and are going against laws can take on a bit of a rebellious feel. And I, and I wonder to what extent the extremity of these films and the, I mean, from what I've seen, 
unsentimental treatment around death and crime is related to a general feeling about the world and about social structure. Again, I've only seen, you know, six, seven of these movies total. So I wouldn't base a thesis off of that. But I do have an inclination that we might see something uh, as a trend in these films that reflects sort of the attitude or the environment or the context of the times. I also wonder if we, speaking specifically of you and I, are going to wrinkle a little bit against the kind of innate conservatism that exists in a lot of American crime films of the 1970s that are likely going to be reflected in these Italian films. And specifically, I'm thinking of uh, movies like Cops Fighting Against the System style movies like Dirty Harry, which is going to be very influential once we reach uh, the 1970s in terms of films. And the idea, you know, of... of the the rules the laws that are holding back police officers from doing their jobs <laughs> that that are uh, notoriously going to allow films which involve a lot of police violence against people uh, that is shown to be justified yeah i i, I mean i think we, we'll predictably break these films down into who the protagonists are are the cops the protagonists or are the criminals the protagonists you know what i'm saying mm. and um, I've seen uh, quite a few of these movies that are about a, a lone hitman escaping from the mafia. That's like way up my alley. The one that's like, oh, I can't do my job as a cop because I can't just murder people in the streets. <laughs> I'm a little less sympathetic to those, though I do think there is a counter reading of those movies to say, well, this is all every cop is. It's just a, 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 a murderer held back by bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there's something about that that appeals to me too, but it'll be a different kind of appealing than the other kind of film. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for the purposes of the films that we're talking about on this episode, the reason that we are talking about Bandits in Milan and Bandits in Rome is specifically because those are the two first films covered in Roberto Curdi's film, uh, film book, Italian Crime Filmography, 1968 to 1980. A really great book, actually, for, for someone like me who didn't have a lot of familiarity with the genre outside of Mike Malloy's film Eurocrime, the documentary about Eurocrime films from a few years ago, which I really th think kind of sparked a lot of interest in these films generally among more of a larger cult audience. Now, Agreed. people, I, I don't want to suggest that people were not interested in Eurocrime movies before that. In fact, some of the first podcasts about movies I ever got into had a lot of time devoted to these kind of movies simply because, as you've already referenced, Liam, there weren't as many people talking about them or being as passionate vocally about them in the in the um, same universe that people were very um, very devoted to things like Jolly or or Spaghetti Westerns, things like that. So I feel like it's kind of lit a fire under it over the past decade, which also meant that there's a lot of a lot more releases of these films in decent quality. And I bring that up because those two films that we're going to be talking about today, Bandits in Milan and Bandits in Rome, are not easily available. Uh, so the versions that we saw, I mean, were very watchable. They were widescreen and uh, they had kind of iffy American dubs, but that's to be expected. But, you know, they're not exactly the most polished looking examples of this genre. But it's kind of interesting to start there and to see where we're going to evolve from there. I agree. I think... Um... It'll be interesting, though. I mean, I mean my uh, unrealistic goal is that we will soon have many uh, disciples of this genre uh, re-watching <laughs> re these movies. You know, I, I want to see people uh, tweeting about how they're watching No Way Out for the 100th time uh, instead of, you know, whatever, Lord of the Rings trilogy or some bullshit, you know. 
I do think that the, the political aspect that you mentioned, uh, whether we're going to see films reflective of the political aspects of the time, I do think that we're already seeing that even in these initial films. Yeah. And it's something I, I do wonder if if it's going to be less so uh, if these films start to more closely imitate the style of American films of the 1970s. But uh, we'll, we'll obviously we'll examine that as we come to it. Um, Liam, any uh, anything that you're looking forward to or that you're hesitant about in regards to this project as we go forward to it. With I mean, that, I'm looking say. forward to both revisiting films that I know that I've seen and loved, but also discovering new films, especially, you know, as someone who uh, uh, makes shirts of cool movies, finding new cool movies is always great. And uh, if I can find something that like, I think, there is still an audience for that would like to drop 20 bucks on a shirt that would be great uh i think what i'm hesitant about is one of the themes that these movies uh can sometimes take on uh in a way that is not as sensitive as i uh as i think a lot of modern audiences would like is well you're uh, a sensitive boy that's kind of a notorious thing yeah so uh the whole sexual violence aspect you know Mm -hmm. Um, there's a couple of movies in the genre that I enjoy overall, but have uh, a rape scene or something similar that I feel uncomfortable about. So I'm worried that that might become a, a more prevalent part of this genre that I'm entirely comfortable with, uh, which is, you know, it's not going to deter me from the show. It's just one of the things I'm worried about. It's just frankly a hesitancy that is involved with the enjoyment of almost any European yes. movie. Yes, uh, genre film of the 1970s, right? It's something that we run into a lot. Um, but, I mean, it is definitely worthwhile. There's sexual violence even in the films that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and, you know, th- any glorification of the police in the year 2021 comes with uh, some mixed feelings on my part, and I'm sure on the part of a lot of our audience. But, uh, you know, th- that's that just is another aspect that I'm interested in discussing as we get to them. And speaking of interesting topics, I, I found both of the films that we're going to be talking about today very, very interesting, very unique, and probably a little underseen because of the fact that they are not as, as available as some of the uh, quote-unquote classics of this genre. Liam, I think it's time. Let's take a break. When we return, we're going to talk about our first film today, Bandits in Milan. The Violent Four, Criminals Without Conscience. The brains of the gang, the getaway man, the lookout, the dead shot. Their everyday wives, their any day girls. Taking what they want, when they want it. Striking at the heart of a great city. Panic. Fear. Violence. Violent Four. Murderous bandits gunning down a trail of innocent victims, gangland style. 
A detective is assigned to head a manhunt for four violent bank robbers. It's Bandits in Milan from 1968, a.k.a. Banditi a Milano, a.k.a. The Violent Four. In fact, it might actually be more well-known in the U.S. under the title The Violent Four, directed by Carlo Lozani, also the director of 1969's The Tough and the Mighty, 1972's Black Turin, and 1974's Crazy Joe, and written by Lozani and Massimo Derita, uh, who also was the um, the screenwriter of a lot of kind of uh, upcoming uh, Euro crime movies we l- will likely be talking about, including Revolver, Street Law, The Heroin Busters, as well as the MST3K classic, The Puma Man. Uh, this is actually based on a real-life bank robbery that went very wrong in Milan, Italy, on the 25th of September, 1967. The film stars Gian Maria Volante as Piero Cavallero, uh, the leader of these four uh, four bank robbers, as well as Thomas Millian, who we're going to see probably a lot in upcoming films as well. He's an actor that I'm very familiar with, mostly from his work in Spaghetti Westerns, but uh, I've worked in all sorts of genres, both in Italy and uh, elsewhere, um, as I'm sure we'll talk about in future episodes as well. Liam, this was a very different experience than I was expecting, uh, mostly because a lot of the defining elements of what I think about when I think about Eurocrime movies at this point, because this film is from 1968, had not really been developed yet. Again, this is pre-Dirty Harry. This is pre-The French Connection. So this feels a little bit more Italian than it does uh, the the borrowing from American elements, at least from my perspective. What were your thoughts on Bandits in Milan? The film kind of starts off with like a, um, I don't know what you would call that, Mondo style, documentary yes. style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes on for so long that at first it's very off-putting because I'm I'm waiting for characters and plot for me to connect with, and that's not happening. On the other hand, it's filmed very excitingly. I was kind of amazed, at first at least, by the kinetic structure of that, that that, that whole documentary style didn't feel plotting. It felt exciting. It felt like a crazy newsreel or something. And, right. And... and, and you know that it's all staged, but if you did ever see a newsreel with that much excitement in it, it'd be the <laughs> coolest newsreel you'd ever fucking seen in your life, because it's all like it—it's literally uh, all that. All those sections are cut together with a lot of like the most exciting moments of a movie like this, and so it was engaging, but it was also difficult because I didn't know what to make of it. Um, once I got into the vibe of it, I was really enjoying the film, but as the movie goes on, as much as it still maintains a certain amount of excitement um there's some great chases some interesting action uh and and i kind of like the cruelty of the film the film very much wants you to know that in the incident it's based off of that bystanders did not matter and so they go out of their way as they lead to this one big uh heist that went wrong to make sure you know how many bystanders fucking got murdered with no concern you know what i mean i I love how the movie pauses to show each of them leaving their house in the morning and saying goodbye to their family so and it's like you know why you're seeing that because you already have an idea of what's going to happen to them and then they're dispatched of with like no no qualms at all yeah absolutely but that's but that's the thing right it spends so much time setting up this event which is probably something more movies should do is like what if what you're depicting really is there i don't want to get too philosophical here but what happened isn't just a news story right this community 
obviously has been fucking scarred by this. Like this yeah. wasn't just a robbery. This was like uh, an explosion of violence that that they were not prepared for, and that this film's dramatization of it. I'm sure there are people watching the movie being like, "This doesn't even touch how it really felt. This isn't even as crazy as it really was to be there that day." All of that, and the movie spends a lot of time making sure you understand the singularity of that violence, and in so doing has no character in the movie. Like, there are the robbers who, other than being assholes, there's really, like, there's a young guy, there's an asshole, there's a quiet one. Like, it's there's just nothing, there's nothing about them that is compelling in any way. And then there's the police, and, like, I will say it's actually nice because of my political biases. There's no <laughs> hero cop here. But the cops are still the heroes because the movie is about how terrible these criminals are so inevitably the cops are important but they're not lionized but what that also means is that they're not interesting they're just (laughs) nameless faceless cops who are very bad at these criminals and like the criminals are portrayed so cruel and so heartless that like it's hard not to like feel the cops when they're like we're gonna get these fuckers you're like yeah man i get it like they just shot some old lady for funsies like i get it why you're so into getting them but there's no cop there's no like guy that you're like oh yeah that's my guy and the lack of like any identifiable character is not something i thought i would care about but in this case it just put the movie at a little bit of a distance from me so that i was entertained the whole time and parts of it were interesting and it certainly is visually very interesting i thought well shot film but I didn't find myself caring as much about it, which was surprising to me because normally I don't think like a, a film should rest purely on its characterization. Uh, I, I really missed it here. I, I There's a lot to unpack from what you just said. Uh, I don't fully agree, actually. I mean, I do think that the Cavalero character becomes the main character once we get into the uh, the the robbery aspect. Uh, in full because he's the leader of this gang and he is the guy who is such a tour de force kind of force of nature he just dominates everyone around him even to the point where at the end when he's trying to get away he's talking about how you know he he's not going to embarrass his family so he's going to kill them and then kill himself i mean just a, a monster of a man and i mean he's the character that that will uh that kind of resonates after watching it and there is like a hero cop the, the, the guy the commissioner played by thomas Millian is supposed to be that hero it's just that you're right he's not characterized very well we see him at the beginning being introduced and he pops up throughout but you never really learn anything about him i always thought it was kind of but, funny but yeah but please. did you find cavalero compelling like i didn't find him charismatic I, he just seemed like a dick like I, there wasn't anything about him like you can have a monstrous criminal that still like has compelling narrative or has like motivations that you understand and he just seems like an asshole to me he never seemed like i really thought well i mean he was a real person and he i guess the real life person was equally unrepentant about what he had done at the end and i think there is a political aspect of it i mean the the idea is that the real person and actually jean maria volante himself was extremely left-leaning and actually used their left uh leftist perspective they kind of abandoned it not him not the actor but this person in real life i guess abandoned his leftist views because they became so kind of disillusioned with it and that's why he i guess has so little uh care for uh regular human beings on the street i mean he starts firing and telling people to fire into the crowd without even a second hesitation and is excited by it excited by how close they are to being caught at any particular time i mean all the rest of his three gang members they're always nervous at one particular time or another but he's confident all the way through simply because he seems like he just doesn't give a shit 
I guess as a monster, I found him so pedestrian. You're making him sound more exciting than I ever felt about him in the whole movie. He seemed like a selfish cornball who <laughs> was not that interesting. He's never fucking funny. He's like, I'm the best. And like, they, you know, they have one really exciting thing where they rob, what was it, three banks at once? Well, I mean, this was like kind of the modus operandi for this group of criminals, which is right. that they would rob a bank. Then they would go a short distance away, rob another bank, and then do it again with the idea that as the cops are arriving at the first bank, they're already robbing the second one, right. and then they just keep that going. They even actually make the employee at the bank push the alarm specifically to get the cops to go to the first one, and they're going through it so quickly that they're able to, sh to hit three banks at once. But my, my point being is that the ego boost, the, 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 his sense of being untouchable from this experience feels very flimsy to me. I don't know. I, I, I guess the, the, the movie to some extent works if you buy into Piero Cavallero as like someone you should care about outside of the fact that he murdered people. And I just didn't feel that at all. Like, and it wasn't that that made the movie bad. It was still pretty exciting, but I kind of just, I, I wanted another character that I could like, connect with because I, I i i don't know if it was the performance or just the writing i just didn't care about cavalero in the in the slightest i mean i could see how if that was the case it would be difficult to enjoy the second half of this movie i actually yeah. took more to the second half than the first half though i found the first not half really it's probably the first half hour very unique and interesting because it sets forth it's almost like an essay film you know what i mean yeah yeah where it's it's trying to posit a theory and that theory is that criminals in the late 1960s in italy they're way more vicious it's no country for old men basically well, actually no country for old men was trying to say that people were always vicious which is what i believe but in that in the setup for this movie they actually talk to a criminal again an actor playing a criminal and he is interviewed in a documentary form and he's like we were gentlemen we used to make the people laugh while we were robbing banks while you see the guy in here he's just this vicious animal of a person and i think it's supposed to show that you know <laughs> it, it, this would definitely appeal to older moviegoers at the time it's like oh whatever happened to the gentleman criminal uh and i do think that it becomes almost like a thematic mission statement for a lot of Eurocrime crime movies which is that these criminals are going to be completely unrepentant and completely vicious but i don't know if we're going to see many as transparently vicious as uh as cavalero is here yeah i guess you're right he's kind of one-dimensional because he is incredibly self-interested but so is one of the characters that we'll be talking about in our second film except with a difference in that and i'm guessing the thing that helped you maybe connect to it because we haven't talked about it yet is that film also has a cop character that is a lot more well-defined Sure, although I will say that the, what makes that movie better is that, and, and maybe you didn't find this, but in my mind, those cops were so fucking, the, the part of that, I mean, we'll get there, but part of that second movie is, uh, for me, the, the, the failure of the police to be any more effective <laughs> than the criminals at dealing with the world. Like, they think they're so fucking smart, and in the end, they did nothing. And I fucking <laughs> love that part of the movie, uh, is how useless they are. Um, I guess what it is, it's not his cruelty, because I think that that, uh, obviously, they're representing a real character. And also, I kind of like that aspect. Like, I, that, in, that in and of itself isn't a bummer for me. I think what I found difficult is that there's not much to him other than his cruelty. Like I, I, he's not interesting. He's not funny. He's not 
there's not a lot of scenes of him being passionate about something else. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm probably being too tough on the movie because otherwise I like the movie so much. And and I, I think narratively the second part of the movie, and you're right, it's more than half, is w- more compelling because there's like, a progression and and I like the way that it kind of tells a story slightly out of order, you know, sure. where whatever it, it, like it, all go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say there's some really brutal stuff in that opening. Yes, that, yes. that part where a, a singer gets picked up and basically forced into prostitution and then she's beaten and left and, and set on fire in the uh, in the woods. I mean just really it, it's just it's supposed to be these little vignettes that are meant to show that crime is getting so out of control that it's it's um that it's almost impossible to stop something like the incident that this movie is about from happening. But I think that if the movie, I mean, it's a, it's a longer movie. If it had kept up that style for the whole time, I yeah. wonder if it would have been impossible to maintain interest, mm-hmm. even yeah. though, like I said, a lot of that's compelling. There's some cool shots. Like it's neat and it's a neat way to start the movie. You really need the story to get going. I just, I, I guess I, and, and I, and I won't say it's the performance cause I, I don't know that that's fair, but I do feel like the the um, the Cavalero character didn't have that much for me as a viewer, and uh, and if he was more interesting, I think this movie would have been really great actually, because I think there's a lot of other things that work well in the film. I don't know if you ever ran into this, Liam, but when I was first getting into exploitation movies, and particularly Italian exploitation movies, you know, back in the '90s. One of the things I ran into that was kind of a difficulty was how I was supposed to watch these movies. Like, what was the correct way, as a Canadian in my case, to watch these movies? I remember the first time I was watching Dario Argento movies thinking, well, I should watch them in Italian, right? Because that he's Italian. And But then the lead actor or the lead actress, they're, they're speaking English or they're speaking German. And as I got more into Italian films, and particularly spaghetti westerns, where you would have these international casts, and often having a lead American actor speaking English and often even dubbing their own voice, it became all the more confusing. It's something that I think we're going to run into a bit where sometimes these English dubs are of a very low quality. And I do think that that in this case, it's a real mixed bag in terms of the quality of the uh, American dub. And also how that reflects the performances in some way, or effects, I should say. Because I thought, I you know, I came out of this thinking that that Volante's performance as Cavalero was really strong. And he's an actor that I recognize from a, a n- multiple spaghetti westerns, most notably uh, Sergio Leone's westerns, Fistful of Dollars, and For a Few Dollars More. Um, but here I thought he did this incredible job. But I, I'm at least partially speaking about the dub, which was a voice that wasn't even his, and how you know how you judge those performances when you're hearing someone else's voice coming out of uh, at someone else's performance. That's a good question. I watched it in Italian with the subtitles on. Interesting. I would actually not recommend because the subtitles are not complete. Yeah. There are definitely portions that are just not subtitled, uh, which is, you know, was frustrating and whatever. But um, yeah, I feel you, Doug. I also have this thing, and I've asked this before, and, and I don't know that it's something a lot of people care about, but I'm sure you've noticed it as well. Um, there are certain dub actors, right? whose careers covered a lot of different other actors they were dubbing. So if you like watch enough uh, 
English dubs of Italian movies. Absolutely. There's a couple of voices that you're like, well, this can't be this actor's voice because I've heard this voice on 20 other <laughs> actors. And yet I don't know how to do the research to find out who was like, there's this one really deep voice that's in like every Fulci and spaghetti Western that I can think of. <laughs> who is that guy? I don't know. It's not, it's not the person I'm seeing on the screen probably. So whose voice is that? And I don't, I haven't done the research to figure out who are the dub actors whose voices have like, comforted me over the years because that, that that voice i've heard it so much on these dubs that like i feel good when i hear that voice i associate that <laughs> voice with like comfort films at this point obviously we watch a lot of martial arts movies and in that case of course you just have a handful in a lot of cases a handful of uh usually australian actors who dub the whole thing but that's a very different case than we have here where some of these movies are meant to be marketed in the united states and often have a recognizable american or or european star in it that 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 is speaking English, but he might be talking to someone speaking Italian or German or whatever. Uh, but at least when it comes to this particular film, uh, that's what I was saying about it feeling a little more Italian than I was expecting regarding sure. uh, yeah. uh, some of these Euro crime movies. That that it's it's about an incident in, a t- in an Italian city featuring Italian actors talking about it. Uh, that that will even change in the following movie that we'll talk about. Um, Liam, was there anything else about this movie that was? kind of stuck out to you uniquely outside of the structure of the beginning of it. Um, that's interesting. I, I think just the idea that because it's telling a true story, the ending felt different. It didn't need to kind of wrap anything up in a bow. Like we got the full story, but there's not a lot of commentary on it. It's just like, yeah, then they got caught and the guy like didn't give a fuck. Like he, like he was not apologetic in any way. And uh, you know, that I think there's something about, I, I wonder I wonder how this movie would play if we were uh, from Milan in 1960, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, this would be a different sort of experience for us. It's telling us a story that we're completely unfamiliar with. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Z. Um, uh, It's about, um, it's a political film and it's all a true story. And I watched it not knowing it was a true story. So the structure of the film, it's set in Greece, was very confusing to me. Like, I I think it's Greece. I think it's Greek film. Anyways, um, it was very confusing to me the way the story was told because I didn't know it was a true story. So then when it ended, I was like, oh, shit. Like, it was like actually kind of blew my mind a little bit. The story, like, that that's this is what happened, or at least this is a version of what happened. Um, and, and from what I understand, it's it's pretty accurate, you know. Uh, in the same way, I wonder how this movie would play if we at least were familiar with the true story. If we would think, like, oh, yeah, they're just telling the story or whatever. Because it, it's just uh, an American narrative would maybe want to have a few more like cute bows tied at the end or some sort of emotional whatever. And this film just isn't interested in that. I mean, and think about it. I mean, this movie came out in 1968. The incident that it's portraying happened in 1967. People who, most of the people who were seeing this movie in Italy in 1968 would have been pretty familiar with the yeah, incident. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, so, so they don't need a lot of the, the, the detail. They want to see it kind of dramatized to a certain extent. So, I mean, it, it really does take a, an interesting perspective on it and an interesting structure, one that I really wasn't expecting going into it. I will say that one of the things that I was kind of, uh, 
excited by on a, on a more of a visceral level was the car chase itself because there are certain yeah. aspects of it that seem like really legitimately dangerous maybe it's just because of how the streets are aligned in, yeah. uh, in milan uh and it just seemed like there were tons like some of the um there is a sequence where one of the criminals tries to escape in a crowd and is recognized and a mob kind of descends on him and almost kills him and the mob scenes in this and there's another one at the end when the criminals are being brought uh to court or i guess brought to the prison or whatever those are really kind of they feel out of control simply because the groups are so large and uh and it's kind of really it, it feels impressively out of control is i guess what i should say well even the car crashes right there's a couple of car crashes that um i'm sure were very carefully planned and staged but in the moment i'm like whoa okay all right is everybody okay in there like especially because the cars are so like we <laughs> You know, like it's hard to imagine there being like a roll cage in there protecting yeah, somebody. Right, right. Know, so. <laughs> I do think that as we go forward with these films, we're going to see a lot more films that focus on the cops in less of a um, sterling manner. Like here, the cops are like you said in the second film we're going to be talking about. There is a suggestion of incompetence, but here, even when I thought that the cops were being kind of incompetent, the movie doesn't fixate on that. Like there's a part where the police are chasing after these four criminals who are in a car trying to get away, and they're unwilling to shoot them, even though these cops are sorry, even though the criminals are shooting back at the cops and shooting people generally. The cops are unwilling to shoot until they get out of the city. So they're trying to kind of chase them out of the city. Once the criminals realize what they're doing, they double back and go right into the downtown area, which is how all this carnage starts. Hey, that's partially the the fault of the police for taking this uh, this tactic. But the movie doesn't exactly fixate on that. It's just like, oh, they were smarter than we were expecting. Yeah, I, I, I think the movie... And I wonder if it is because it's a true story that happened pretty recently. They they take a pretty soft hand with the police, you yeah. know. And uh, again, not not that they lionize them either in, in a way. They're not there's there's no like hero cop jumping on their car or some crazy shit. But it's generally like you know the police are just doing what they're gonna do, and you know they're they're trying to figure it out. So as we come to the end of talking about bandits in Milan, Liam. Does this film make you excited for the films that we're going to cover throughout the 1970s? Do you feel like this is a reflective of those movies in any way? Or like one of the things, the reason that the uh, that this becomes the film that kicks off that the the Italian crime filmography book is the idea that it is looking at crime from the perspective, I think, of the 1960s. But this doesn't feel like a film that's trying to take from American movies, American crime movies in the 1930s. This feels very much of its era and of its time, but it's kind of wistful about an era of crime that may or may not have existed. Yeah, I, I think it does make me excited, like at, at least for the bare minimum of like the car chasey shooting sort of drama of it all. But I also think it's a unique perspective. Like I, I couldn't imagine this kind of film existing in the United States at this time. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah. even maybe today. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm curious to see what other kind of variations the genre has for us. It's interesting also that this film doesn't have as many appeals to a Western audience, right? or I should say an American audience, because the the even the structure is, I mean, even the way that the film is set up is about the history of crime in Italy. What we will find in the next movie we're about to talk about are taking elements from this first movie, including the title to a certain extent, and then trying to mold that into something that also would have an appeal worldwide. 
Uh, and that includes in, uh, putting a, a name star in there. That includes making it more American in terms of its structure and trying to make it a little bit more palatable. And we'll see how successful that is. Liam, let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about 1968's Bandits in Rome. Hey, they almost got you, huh? Never. Nervous? No. Hey, you don't like me anymore, huh? I'm getting old. It has nothing to do with you. People take crime too lightly today. You rob a bank, people laugh. You you kill somebody, psychiatrists make excuses for you. You're tired, that's all. The cops come looking for somebody else and you start shooting. If you only killed a couple of them. But I forgot. You don't want to kill anybody. You're soft-hearted. You're wrong. I'm a professional. I'm not an amateur. I know how to use a gun. I'm not like you. Kill someone, you get life in prison, huh? So, Friday night. Where? We meet at the Metropolitan Station in front of the Piper Market. When? A professional holdup man with scruples has a young, ambitious partner who covets his wife and his life. When the holdup man goes to prison, the partner cuts loose, leaving a trail of deaths behind him. It's Bandits in Rome from 1968, a.k.a. Roma Comes Chicago. Uh, the original title basically means uh, Rome, Chicago in Rome or Rome in Chicago, making a very direct confluence between uh, American action films and the Italian one that this is kind of trying to uh, to imitate to some extent. And speaking of imitation, Bandits in Rome came out after Bandits in Milan. Obviously, that title is meant to evoke the that first one as well. And some plot elements, I think, are meant to evoke it as well. This was directed by Alberto Demartino, a very prolific genre director. He went through that regular route, uh, the ones I kind of referred to, those fads in the first se uh, segment. They started with the Peplum Sword and Sandal movies with Hercules versus the Giant Warriors, Bond ripoffs with Operation Kid Brother with uh, Sean Connery's brother and Neil Connery, Spaghetti Westerns like Django Shoots First, Jolly like the uh, Killers on the Phone, and of course what we have here with the Polizio Teschi uh, film Bandits in Rome. Nine people are credited on the screenplay for this film, uh, which might explain some of the more confused elements elements that happen uh, as it goes along. Uh, and this film stars the legendary John Cassavetes as Mario Corda, uh, sort of our... He, so there's a cop played by Gabriel Frazetti. He's the commissioner who we spend a lot of time with in this film. Then we have John Cassavetes, who's kind of like the criminal with the heart of gold. Guy who refuses to murder anybody, tries to play it by the book. And then we have Nikos uh, Kurkulos as Enrico. Now, Nico, uh, Nikos was a, a pretty well-known, actually very well-known, uh, Greek actor, uh, and he play, kind of plays this insane uh, partner to Mario Corda, who, after Mario goes to prison, Enrico is just left to his own devices, and he just, as the uh, the, the plot summary suggests, causes this path of violence. A very different kind of movie, does not have that kind of documentary style to it. A lot more traditional in terms of structure, but that could be a good or a bad thing, depending on what you like. Liam, what did you think of Bandits in Rome? I really liked it. I really, um, it's a frustrating movie because, uh, kind of similar to the last film, like you spend a lot of time with a guy who is a monster, just the worst kind of dude. Um, but I also felt like I understood where he was coming from. Like I, I got why he was such a piece of shit. Uh, and then you also have the counterbalance of John Cassavetes, who is a, totally unbelievably uh uh kind of like i guess he, it's a stretch to say honorable but he is at least committed to a code um and 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 i don't believe that that's real <laughs> but i but i really appreciated that and it's compelling um there's also 
uh, a compelling police character who turns out uh, to not be very effective, which I also enjoy, but he's also interesting. So there's there was a lot here uh, that I found interesting and exciting. Um, I think uh, it also has a bit of melodrama, which I don't know. The, the aspect of like, He's trying. He's not just trying to replace his partner in general, but he mm-hmm. specifically is obsessed with his partner's uh, girlfriend slash wife, right? Um, and that that's part of his motivation. So that might be off putting for some people. It, it felt a little superfluous to me in some ways, but right. it also allows for him to reach further depths of depravity. So maybe it's useful in that sense. Uh, but I could see some people being turned off by it. It didn't bum me out, but it's it's not. I don't think that that level of like melodrama is why a lot of people come to this genre per se. Right. Um, still, it's generally exciting. I like uh, he, him having this gang of guys he's trying to control that he's replaced <laughs> it with. I love that he comes to be known by the police officer as nervous shooter. Uh, and, and 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 I even really appreciate the characterization of the police because. You know they're they're kind of shitty in some ways, but they really are doing the the best they can in other ways. That's kind of compelling, but it's also a reminder of how that's kind of powerless, right? Like they can't really do much of anything though. Like the, that even though this dude sucks, like he's not very good as a as a bandit. He keeps making stupid mistakes, and they still can't fucking catch this guy. Is like there's just something about that that I found kind of compelling too. It their, their chase of the nervous shooter is played a lot more modern than in bandits in Milan. Yes. that they're using all the technology at their disposal that they have these, you know, crime scene investigators who are, uh, who are like picking up pieces of glass on the street and trying to connect it to specific watches. And I mean, it shows that, that, the that even, even with all of this technology at their disposal, that finding criminals can still be a very difficult thing. Uh, but at least it, it creates this sort of propulsion in the plot in that they're getting closer and the net is getting closer on these guys and then they get more and more desperate in a way that you don't see in the first film. And maybe you don't see that in the first film because the first film is based on an actual incident in reality and this one gets to be a little more... It's not fantastic, but it doesn't have to be as... um, It doesn't have to be as uh, honest with the truth. So when you go and look at what the police commissioner's uh, office looks like there's a big light up board with all these lights on it and it's like is that what they have in the real police station I have no idea maybe they did <laughs> in Italy in the late 1960s didn't seem very realistic to me but I did the chase in this part is a lot more interesting even though I didn't find uh, the commissioner that interesting as a character which is why I'm glad that we had sort of a criminal counterpoint even though I don't find the Mario Corda character that interesting simply because he is supposed to be you know the kind of squeaky clean criminal guy. You you wonder why he he's partnered with Enrico in the first place. It doesn't really make any sense why he'd have someone who's obviously a loose cannon who is completely untrustworthy. Who even when they do uh, rob together ends up fucking everything up by shooting the people that they're trying to rob. Uh, it doesn't really make sense that a guy who's trying to present himself as a professional has has saddled himself with that. That well, said, I think that's I think that's I think they actually cover that in the movie, Doug. Because the the suggestion is they've actually done a lot of jobs yes. where he hasn't shot someone. And it's now that suddenly his partner is vulnerable, that his partner is showing cracks because he's you know had this incident. It's important to say that the police, 
when when he has this incident with the police, they're not fucking looking for him. He just sees cops and loses his shit, which I get, but it's like uh, an important thing because it it shows that he is not um he's not uncrackable and it's I think that that the motivation here is that his partner sees this sort of crack in the facade and is like all right, well, I'm just going to do what I've always wanted to do, which is apparently murder a guy. Like that he's just been waiting to murder someone, which I guess is a little hard to believe in some ways. But for me, I, I, I like that part. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, I at some point, at like the halfway mark of the movie, John Cassavetes goes to prison. And the whole rest of the movie basically focuses on this Enrico character. And while I don't think that the performance is as interesting, the character is simply because he is a psychopath, right? And oh, then yeah. he has... Then he has to connect these other guys and create this new crew, and they're kind of fun as well. It's, it's just nice to see these actors, especially the guy who's just as obsessed with smoking marijuana. He's a little bit of fun. But then you see like this, this crew of people who are uh, underlings to him also be kind of shocked at how brutal and, 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 and crazy he is. That Enrico, as a character, is so thrilled by what's going on that it's not until like the very last moments where he even seems to think that he has the possibility of being captured. Like, even when at the end, and this isn't much of a spoiler, I imagine that most people would expect it, Mario shows up, uh, he, he even turns to Mario like, hey, help me, even though he has just, again, big spoiler, raped and murdered Mario's wife, and Mario knows that, and he's tried to kind of completely uh, squeeze him out of this escape uh, plan that they have. He, he still appeals to Mario to help him, and of course Mario mows him down with the machine gun. I don't know, Enrico as a character is kind of interesting. I didn't know much about Nikos Kokolis as an uh, actor. He, he pl- he's basically playing kind of a greaser-ish uh, psychopath here, but I, I at least found the character kind of fun to, to see what he was going to do next in the second half. I think a character can suck and be compelling. And I, I guess you're right. It's not that his performance is that groundbreaking per se, uh, but I did like it. It, it. it just was interesting. I don't know. Maybe I have a bias towards uh, with these kind of movies, something that has sort of a, a traditional gangster film structure, but that's how this felt. This felt like a gangster film, you know? Yeah. The strong, mm-hmm. the strong man has gone away and now the weaker man will play and it will be bad. <laughs> he will be <laughs> bad at his job. And also just the idea that like, I, 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 again, I'm not trying to lionize the police here, but the, their naming of it, him as the nervous shooter, the idea that like he shoots and he probably doesn't have to, and he shoots more than he has to. There's just something about that that felt so real and such a good characterization. Um, but also, I love like, how I love how because they know that one of them are a nervous shooter, and they know specifically that John Cassavetes isn't a nervous shooter. That even though his fingerprints are on a gun that kills somebody, the commissioner right away knows that it wasn't him who shot it because he innately knows that the nervous shooter is a different person. Well, yeah, it's like it's like, uh, uh, but I, I well, we'll get to that in a sec. But um, it, it's almost like these guys are actually good at their jobs, which is like an amazing thing to think about. But um, especially whatever, I don't want to get distracted by modern stuff. But the point is, is that um, I also like that because it's clear that there's something wrong with this. That the suggestion is that like 
it's not just that Cassavetes is his character is some sort of freak who doesn't shoot. It's that this guy doesn't need to shoot. Everyone knows it. His new partners know it. The fucking cops know it. The people he's shooting know it. You know what I mean? Like everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing right now? Like there's just no <laughs> need for all this shooting, but he just does it. Cause that's why he's doing this thing is so that he can feel that sense of power. You know, uh, on the other hand, I think the movie does sort of think that like, um, this world that the Corda character has created where he can just nonviolently rob people for thousands of lira and Uh just live his life as a normal hip dude, that that's a fucking fantasy that was always bound to end in tragedy. I like that. Like, I like that, that, that sort of tragic aspect of the film that as much as they never sort of disrespect that character, it's pretty clear he's been living in a fantasy world. And this world of depravity and violence was under the surface the whole time, just waiting to come out. Uh, And yet what it doesn't do is then say, because the police are the good guys, because as much as, you know, they're on the side of not shooting people they are so ineffective in this movie and they're so smart it's the weirdest (laughs) thing because they're very good at their jobs and yet it doesn't fucking matter because they they have no effect on the outcome of the film i do think that one of the things that's interesting about these characters the kind of lead criminal characters is the way it reflects that that kind of cinema verite part of Bandits in Milan, the idea that John Cassavetes is more of an old school criminal, right? He he doesn't want to use violence. He's a lot more respectable. He's trying to live a normal life while you have this younger guy who is a wild card, who is, you know, is a has an itchy trigger finger, is willing to kill, is willing to create uh, more more turmoil when he does his robberies, that it's still supposed to be a generational divide that's on display here. Uh, again, it just seems like both films are in some ways supposed to be condemning young criminals for being way too violent. Oh, totally. That uh, I mean, the, the, the aspects of it that I found to be a little silly was, A, the idea that like the older criminals were like, respectable it's probably not true um but i you know i get where it comes from this idea that the past was always less shitty than the present um but also uh the idea that this dude is uh in this movie is greek and like maybe he's so crazy because he's greek is like a weird (laughs) aspect of the film as well i also wonder if there's a little bit of distance because one of the criminals is American and the other one is Greek, right? It's not even like a, they they might uh, uh, bring Italians into the fold, though some of the actors that are playing Italian in this are actually American, which is kind of actually Canadian in the case of um, uh, Mark uh, Furioni, who plays the the marijuana loving uh, gangster guy, um, Italian Canadian, I should say. That that this becomes uh, something that that you can kind of view with a separation that you can't with the bandits in Milan characters. That this is more like, and again. It, it's also has the also the bonus of being able to appeal more internationally by having these fa- faces that are famous in other places. Uh, just to finish off our discussion on on this particular film, what did you think of John Cassavetes in it? it? It's kind of an interesting character. I mean, we already talked about it to some extent. Apparently, Cassavetes really kind of clashed with the director on set. But uh, it's funny how they kind of sidetrack him for so much of the second half of the movie. Yeah, if it was a more modern film and it was filmed in the U.S., I'd say, oh, they only had Cassavetes for a couple days. Right. And then he had to leave. So they filmed the rest of the movie without him. Because that's how it feels. This feels like, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't mean this as a sign of disrespect. This feels like an Eric Roberts performance, right? Because yeah. it's important, but it's not important. 
You know, it, it adds important texture, but you could film a lot of the movie without him. Um, I also felt like, is did he dub his own voice? Yes, he did. Absolutely. His voice sounds weird in the movie, and I yes, don't it know does. why. No, it does. And the dub itself sound, kind of sounds weird. It's not the most uh, high-quality audio that we're hearing here. But I think the deal is, I know Cassavetti's voice, so it sounds weird to me because I know what I should be hearing, and I'm like, the fuck is this? You know, it, it, for for the first part of the movie, I thought, did someone redub Cassavetti's? Because if so, what a waste! Like, why even have him in this movie? Because he's not even in it that much. But if you don't even get his voice, it's like you just wanted people to think there was a hot American in the movie. Like, I don't understand. Um, yeah, I I, I think. I think he's a strong – I mean, obviously, I think Cassavetes is a strong actor. So do I think the movie would benefit from more of him? Sure. But I also get that, like, for this narrative, it makes sense. He's playing the role that he should be playing, and that role does involve him in prison a good deal. And the plot wouldn't really develop if it was a lot of him hanging out in prison. I just love how the, the jailbreak aspect of it is so underdeveloped because the it's idea is – ridiculous. Okay, it's ridiculous. So we know that this character – uh, he's working with his wife and his uh, crazy partner who he doesn't know is kind of working outside of – like he's doing his own jobs basically. And they're trying to set up this plane to Greece where they're all going to leave together and, and live a new life outside of Italy. And part of that plan is that he has to escape from prison. It's just – it's just accepted that he's going to be able to do that, even to the point where the commissioner's like, yes, you may escape, but I'll catch you again and again. It, apparently, it's so fucking easy to escape from an Italian prison that anyone can do it like on a specific day. And when he actually has to do it in the movie, we don't see him planning. We don't see how he actually does it. We just see him climbing uh, a, uh, uh, a grappling hook that he has made himself, climbing a couple of walls, and then just jumping down to a city street and stealing a car. Yeah, I got to say, like, the, the the very idea of putting any sort of long-term prison in a fucking neighborhood is such a bad idea that, like, this idea that he would just hop out the window and grab a car, I was like, fuck. Like, why doesn't everyone do that all the time? <laughs> well, you know, it's just with the gentleman thieves of the past, you never had to worry about such a thing. They would just sit happily in jail. <laughs> um. I do want to t mention also the soundtrack to this film provided by Ennio Morricone, except Morricone um, didn't actually write original original score for it. It's actually reworked music from a Italian TV series called Musica de Sera, but the music is really good. It uh, It's kind of very jazzy. There's kind of a lot of yeah. bursts of kind of like <laughs> very uh, intense jazz music <laughs> as things play. Uh, it, you know, recognizably uh, Morricone uh, in terms of the the style of it from this time period, not, uh, unless you think of it, it's just going to sound like spaghetti Western music. I also want to mention, we didn't, we haven't said much about Anita Sanders as Leah Corda. That's true. Because it's a, it's a pretty important role and, and I think she's pretty good in it. It's not, you're not going to walk away being like, oh man, she made the film, but, but it's, I don't think it's an easy role because we're meant to believe that she had no fucking clue that he yeah. was like this master bank robber. And I think she handles it pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. It is a it's a pretty thankless role simply because she exists mostly to become motivation for Corda at the end of the movie, but she acquits herself well. I like the idea that like the the realization and the publicity that um that Corda's arrest and imprisonment has 
means that she can no longer get a job, right? Because everyone recognizes who she is and what her relationship is with him. And it's kind of made her a pariah. And that's completely um, uh, not her own fault. I do wonder whatever happens to the kid. Oh, no, we the kid goes to a boarding school and she says she's going to take him out of it soon. Well, I guess that's never going to happen. Because <laughs> bo- both of his parents end up getting murdered. Is it weird that, like, now that I'm a parent, when the movie ended, that was my first thought, Doug. Like, literally, he dies, and I go, what about the kid, motherfucker? Like, I get that you wanted to get your vengeance, but you have a son, you know? Like, that. what about him, man? Like, fuck. What was the plan with the son? Like, they were going to go to Greece and just leave the kid there forever? I I mean, I think they would have figured... I, I believe that she would not have abandoned the, the kid. Right, right. I think that she was, she was on board. Cassavetti's... It, we should be clear that his character is meant to be sympathetic. I don't know that he's always sympathetic, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 and I think part of that is our modern bias because the film, as as important as she is to me as a viewer, I don't know that the film is like she matters much other than to get fridged at the end. But yeah. still, I think she she brings something to that character. Yeah, I mean, his character is sort of a kind of a classic American. Uh, criminal right, character, yeah. right? Which is the guy who's like, I want to go straight. I have this real life. I only do this nonviolently. Also, you know, even to the extent where he's like, just want to do this last big score and then I'm never going to do this again. Uh, and of course, everything goes incredibly badly for him after that. Uh, I do, I am interested as we go forward to see if the kind of conservative view of criminality will be consistent in the sense that like it, it does take that kind of 1930s, 1940s Hayes Code view that criminals must be punished at the end, that they can't get away with it. Now, in the 1970s, there were a lot of American movies which took a very different look at criminality, where the criminals did get away with it, and sometimes they were celebrated. And I want to see if that's going to kind of leach into the kind of movies coming out of Italy at that time. I really hope so, because that's more my vibe. Um, yeah, me too. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I will find these movies exciting and fun regardless. You know what I mean? Like, I don't don't need them to have the same viewpoint as I do. But I think they will be better if they do. Um, and, and, And I'll also settle for the system sucks for everyone. That's also right. a, a message I'm okay with, uh, but you know, once the first time we get one of these, uh, one of these dirty hairy clones and some Italian guys, like I'll <laughs> I'll kill and beat up whoever I want in order to get my man. That's going to be the first time that this becomes uh, not fun. Liam, between these two films, uh, Bandits in Milan and Bandits in Rome, which one did you prefer? I definitely prefer Bandits in Rome, but I think they're both pretty fun. Yeah, I think I don't think either of them are. Um, amazing examples of what we are going to cover on this podcast but they do lay some groundwork that i'm really interested in seeing how it progresses and i found both of them entertaining in their own right i actually lean a little bit more towards bandits in milan uh simply because i find that kind of real life recreation kind of psychologically interesting and particularly how it's trying to be sort of a message movie and is a little bit more fixated on the social and political uh, uh temperature of that time period instead of just kind of trying to tell a, uh, a unique yarn. But uh, I do think that the movies that we're more likely to see are going to be along the lines of Bandits in Rome instead, which is fine by me. Uh, I'm just uh, curious to see how things are going to progress going forward. And speaking of moving forward, on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, we're going to be looking at 1972's Execution Squad. Uh, now, Mike Malloy's Eurocrime documentary 
suggest that this is the movie that really launched the popularity uh, of the Poliziotesco genre in Italy, these Euro crime movies, because it was this huge hit. You know, these movies that we've been talking about today, they I guess they were moderate hits, or they were very well known, obviously enough to be imitated. But this was a movie that was this huge success that uh, that usually there, it always takes one that <laughs> that is going to launch a slew of imitators. It's not a film I've seen before. Liam, have you ever checked out Execution Squad? Never have. Never have. We're both coming at this kind of, uh, like you said, with open hands, Liam. So on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, 1972's Execution Squad. Are you excited? I'm very excited. <laughs> Good. Me too. Liam, if people want to check out more podcasts under the Cinema Smorgasbord banner or otherwise, where, uh, where should they go? Well, they can head on over to CinePunks.com, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, to check out the latest episodes of uh, Cinema Smorgasbord, as well as a bunch of other podcasts like uh, the the titular podcast CinePunks, Horror Business, The Evil Eye, um, all kinds of shows over there uh, that are worth checking out, as well as writing and merch and our Patreon as well. Uh, they can head on over to cinemasmorgasbord.com to hit up our archive of episodes or maybe to find specific episodes under uh, specific types of podcasts that we do. Uh, they can find us on Twitter at Cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. They can find Cinepunks on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all as C-I-N-E. P-U-N-X. And then they can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. And you're at Doug underscore Tilly. (laughs) Yeah, just slow things way down. Spell (laughs) T-I-L-L-E-Y. Thanks, Liam. That's right. Yeah, of course you can follow us on Twitter. And yeah, follow us everywhere. If you have a little time in your day, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, uh, just talk about my part of the episode, not Liam's, because I want you to stay positive. Uh, but yeah, check out all the work over at Cinepunks. <laughs> check out Cinema Smorgasbord. Uh, and uh, if you want to give us any feedback, you can do that through the Cinema Smorgasbord website, cinemasmorgasbord.com. But for now, Liam, we need to get back into hiding. When we uh, come back on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, 1972's Execution Squad. Good night, everybody. Night-night. <laughs>